0: Glad to be back, I tell you, Chris, if you're in here, if you're watching, um, I, I believe that God specializes in taking evil and turning it against itself. That's what the cross is, right? That's what the cross is, the great moment when God faced up with Satan at his best, or at least he thought he was at his best and turned it against him, to turn it all for the best, for every single last one of us. And so even in this moment of pain and death, I look to the cross, I find hope in the cross that God can work good through this, so we're praying for you, um, my friend. Um, now, uh, with that being said, uh, welcome, I am Tyler, um, I'm from Louisville, I'm, I, I'm the pastor at Northeast Christian Church, and uh, if you cannot tell, there's, up. Yep, hey, Billy, um, if you can't tell, she goes to my church, uh, and, and here, um, so if you can't tell, though, I'm a millennial, I am a, don't say that word too loud, it's a cuss word for everybody over the age of 45, but I'm a millennial. if you can't tell by my boyish looks and my artisan local coffee. I'm actually, um, I got that from the, was it the Brentwood Sweets? The Brentwood Sweets Keurig machine, so that's as local as it gets, right? No, actually, I've changed it over to water, but trust me, I don't need any more coffee. Uh, But here's why I bring that out to you, all right? Because as a millennial, uh, I have noticed this growing generational gap between the younger generation and the older generation. the, the rising generation and the leading generation, if you will, and I think it's totally unnecessary. I don't know about you. Um, in fact, I think the big problem here is that like, both generations just refuse to acknowledge the differences between one another, and differences aren't necessarily, uh, necessarily a bad thing. Well, uh, okay, rather than acknowledging them, we either underestimate them, or we demonize our differences. Like the old people look at the young people and say, you're taking this country to hell in a handbasket and this faith and the kingdom of God. And then we look back at the older generation and we're like, if you just get out of the way, then we can move this thing forward faster. Dinosaurs, move it. And it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, shooting arrows back and forth. And we, okay, when are we gonna come to the realization that different is not necessarily a bad thing? Different does not necessarily equate with incompetence. Sometimes different is just different. Okay, let me... um let me give you an example. Let's take the rising generation that's moving into the workforce today um, and taking big leadership roles, our generation, the millennial generation, and let's let's compare it to the oldest generation still in the workforce today, the builder generation. Now, the 80s and 90s raised me, probably most of you in here too, um, but the builder generation was raised in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Now, do you think the 20s, 30s, and 40s were a little bit different than 80s and 90s? I think they raised people who were a little bit different? You think the political landscape was different? Do you think the religious landscape was different? Do you think the economy was different? What happened in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, y'all? Okay, the Great Depression, how about a couple of world wars to throw into it? This is why me and my grandma, among other reasons, are very different. She is, uh, she is one of the most content people I have ever met in my life. Tyler, if you got food on the table, roof over your head and a job, you should be thankful. And she's right, but I can't get content like that. She's one, of, uh, she's one of the most frugal people I've ever met in my life because she lived in a time where prosperity was much more sparse. So like she will not let us brew a new pot of coffee at her house until the old ones drank. It's just like, even if it's 48 hours old, just put it in the microwave, warm it up, tastes the same. Um, which by golly, it does not taste the same. That's blasphemy for a millennial. Okay, do you know that science has proven that uh, over 99% of millennials will serve as a barista before they die? (laughs) Or a photographer. (laughs) Or a barista photographer. (laughs) Or at the very least, you got the barista gear all in your kitchen, right? You can't pay the rent, but you got all the barista stuff. Right, now, here's why I point all this out. Here's why I point this out. Okay, because again, um, there's this growing divide. And all it has to do is with different, for the most part. in fact, you know, you know what the, the leading generation I think has done with us? I think they've labeled us incompetent because we're different, or incapable because we're different or maybe even the straw that's gonna break the camel's back. And I think they've misjudged us. In fact, I think it's our generation's unique differences that have actually positioned us to make a maximum impact in the world like maybe no other generation to ever go before. Every generation has their uniquenesses, right? Like ours ours, 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 are just amazing. We're one of the biggest generations to ever come along. We're one of the most technologically savvy. We know how to leverage that. At the same time, we're globally aware because we're globally exposed with these little smartphones in our hand. And we are the most mission-minded generation I've ever seen in my entire life. Yes, we have our flaws, we'll get there in a second, but is there a more cause-oriented generation in modern history than, than this one sitting in front of me right now? I've got friends who will take two or three weeks of vacation every summer and take their vacation in a third world country to serve. I've got friends who have started successful nonprofits in my home city before the age of 30. I got one friend who shaved his head on Twitter a couple years ago just to raise $20 because his buddy got cancer and he wanted to raise it for cancer research. Now some of you are like, shave your head for $20? That's crazy. He was like, no, it's not crazy, it's $20. And that could be the 20 that pushes the research over the edge. You never know. Somebody's gonna do it right and so he thought it might be him. Look, that's, that's the hardwiring inside of us. You don't want a job, do you? You want a calling. You don't wanna just make a paycheck, you wanna make a difference in the world. And you know what I believe that hard wiring is? I think that's a blessing. It's a gift from God. Perhaps it's the seed of revival. Perhaps it's the Holy Spirit who rose Christ from the dead inside of every single one of us, awakening us, beckoning us, encouraging us like the Holy Spirit does, to step up, grab onto our unique wiring, and maximize our kingdom impact. In fact, I believe that's what it is, which is why I would gladly say today that I believe in you, I believe in us. But that's not what I wanna talk about today. Uh, Rather, I wanna talk about our unique flaws as a generation because we do have flaws. And if we are not conscious of them, they will undermine our potential to make an impact. Uh, Okay, in 2012, I graduated from seminary with an MDiv in biblical studies, which means I took 18 hours of Greek, which means I was smarter than everybody in the world. Okay, or at least so I thought. I was definitely smarter than the senior minister who hired me at the church at a seminary. Never mind he had been there for 35 years. Never mind he had planted the church and taken it from like zero to 2,500 over the course of his career. He didn't know Greek. How could he be trusted with the Bible? Thank God they hired me to straighten him out. (laughs) But you know what I figured out in about the first month? I figured out I got a whole lot to learn and a long way to go to be half the man he was. And I think we do as well, to be half the generations, some of the generations before us. But if we can get this figured out, if we can live countercultural lifestyles, then I think our impact could be unbelievable. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you three, maybe four if we have time. Uh, cultural rhythms, cultural idols, cultural blind spots, cu- cultural rhythms that we need to get out of sync with if we're gonna live the countercultural life Jesus called us to live. Right, here's the first one, cultural rhythm number one is speed. Speed, we live in a culture of speed, do we not? We live in a culture of boom, 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 boom. I know what I want and I want it now. We live in a culture where I don't have to wait till next Tuesday night for the rebroadcast, I can stream it on my phone today. We live in a culture where I can buy anything from anywhere in the world and have it droned to my front doorstep tomorrow. We live in a culture where I don't have to work for a date, I just gotta download the app and swipe right, boom, ladies man, just like that. (laughs) Now recognize, recognize. Culture of speed is not necessarily a bad thing in all ways. In a lot of ways, it's a good thing. But one of the unintended consequences of living in a culture of speed is we can come to see slow as bad. Or slow as something to be avoided. And what i found in my young life are some of the most richest things in life are just slow. Like they take time. It takes time to read a book. It takes time to get an education. You know, three or four years, some of you six or seven. We're not gonna raise any hands. Uh, it takes time to build a relationship. It takes time to build a career, doesn't it? That's one of the big indictments of the rising generation. You know, we bounce from job to job to job to job. Um, I, I've seen this in a lot of my friends. One of my friends have probably had seven or eight jobs through his 20s. And every time he, uh, gets, a new jo- <laughs> he gets a new job, I'm always like, dude, what's the, what's the deal this time? And his answer usually sounds somewhat the same. He'll say, Tyler, I don't feel like I'm making a difference. I don't feel like I'm empowered. I don't feel like I'm respected. I don't feel like I'm trusted. And I get that. We all wanna work in a healthy environment, right? But sometimes I just wanna grab them by the shoulders and shake them and say, dude, you've been there for three months. All right, take a deep breath, because building a career doesn't happen in a moment. It's like running a marathon, right? And you can't can't run the whole race in the first mile. It takes time. Some people run it fast, some people run it slow, but everybody's gotta run the race. Hey, you know what else takes time? Building a relationship with God. It's rarely fast, rarely instantaneous. Oftentimes it's slow, gradual, and a long walk in the same direction. One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. And as I get older, that makes more and more sense to me. And in my prayer life uh, the past year or two, I'll share this with you because I'm so, you know, I've just been um, like trying to stop in the morning. And before I even talk to God, just be still before Him and remind myself of. Uh, Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. You guys know this, it may sound cliche to you, but it helps, it helps just still my soul. Be still and know that I am God. And I just sit there and I say, you know, God, you don't need me, I need you. I'm just gonna be still. In fact, you know what? Let's practice that for a second. You guys wanna try that? Let's just be still for 10 seconds. Somebody's phone will probably go off because you know we've all got our phones on us, right? But that's okay, don't even pay attention. Just, everybody, let's just be still for like 10 seconds. On your mark, you said Go. Yeah, that was more than 10 seconds. <laughs> I did 20, just to freak you out a little bit, okay? Just so you start feeling the tension of how awkward still can be. Some people online were like refreshed, did like did it pause, okay? Some of you opened your eyes, see if you know I passed out up here or something. No, I didn't, because we, okay, here's why, here's why I felt funny too, because we live in a bing, 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 tweet, you know, ring, ring, new message, beep, beep, beep. Right? We live in that kind of culture, right? And it goes so fast. And yet, The word of God still remains the same. Be still and know. Or let me say it like this if you are not still, you will not know. So, Kairos, rising generation, can I just challenge us for a second? Let's unplug from the cultural rhythm of speed and plug in to slow. Let's embrace slow. Even if it comes at the expense of success on the world's terms, let's embrace slow because there is no greater thief of contentment, balance, healthy relationships, and intimacy with God than hyperactivity, busyness, in our culture of speed. Isn't it true? Here's cultural rhythm number two that I would challenge you to consider un- unplugging from. Achievement. Achievement. Now, I'm not telling you not to go out and achieve. You go achieve, become the CEO, make millions of dollars, and then tithe back to Kairos. They'd be really happy about that. All right, go, go for it, right? Maybe I should say it like this. Unplug from the cultural idol of achievement because that's what it's become. For many of us, we bow at the idol of achievement in our individualistic culture. We find our identity there, we measure our self-worth based on how we achieve. Uh, how we achieve. In an individualistic culture, it's all about the rise of the individual. So you basically get your sense of satisfaction in life based on how you're like, comparing with others. If you're beating them, if you're not, how, how high you are on the pecking order. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else struggle with the compare game? Come on. Come on, this is, this is probably one of my number one sins. I could talk about it all night. That's what that means. Um, one of my favorite preachers calls the compare game that we all play day in and day out, living in the land of er. Right, you ever heard this? Because we all wanna be better or smarter or richer, successful er, beautiful er. Some of you girls just want your boyfriend to shower, right? Okay, here's the, here's the life... Here's the life equation of somebody who lives in the land of, of Ur. I, I want to be you plus er. It's nothing against you. I like you. I want you to achieve your fullest potential in life. I just want to know when I lay my head on the pillow, at the end of the day, I'm you plus er, a little bit of er. Now, some of you are so driven that you live not just in the land of Ur, but in the land of Ist. That's where I live all the time. And here's what Ist people do. This is how you'll know. You drive, 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 drive yourself. As long as there's somebody above you getting more attention than you, getting more fame than you, has more followers than you, bigger paycheck than you, you drive, 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 drive. But here's the only problem. There's only one Ist, right? (laughs) There's only one, which means most of us won't be the Ist. And so what you'll do is you'll drive, 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 drive yourself for your entire life and you'll grind yourself down before you make it to the top. Sad day. Okay, in, uh, in 2012, again, I, when I graduated seminary, and was heading off to my first ministry. My mentor, one of my best friends today, he was a professor at the school, asked me, uh, Tyler, what do you wanna make of your ministry? And I was so immature at the time. I promise you, I've grown up um, since then. Don't ask my wife, but I've grown up since then. So uh, he asked me, Tyler, what do you wanna make of your ministry, and I said, Tom, I wanna be the greatest, hear the ist, I wanna be the greatest preacher of my generation. Now, uh, you know what I learned about a year or two in pursuing uh, that goal? One, it's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin to make that the supreme value of my life, to be the ist. Two, thus, it's not what God wants for me at the end of the day. Three, it's absolutely exhausting because, well, every time I walk off stage like and I feel like I've pushed another level of preachers beneath me because I'm, you know, better than them now, I look up and I find a whole nother level of preachers above me, and I gotta start scratching and clawing to climb up there. Four, it steals the joy of my craft because I'm always self-critiquing, right? And I can never listen to another preacher without either feeling envious because they're better or prideful because they're not. And five, check this out. What if, what if I became the ist? What if you became the ist in your industry? Some of you might be, probably not, but because there's only one ist. But what if someday you became it? What if I became it? Then what? You think we're gonna you know, kick our feet up and experience some sort of apocalyptic satisfaction? Somebody's gonna give you a crown or a trophy or a championship belt. Is that what's gonna happen? Yeah, you're the champ. And you can just relax there at the top of the ist. That's not how it works. See, here's what's gonna have to happen. You're gonna have to defend the belt because you're gonna look down, there's gonna be about a 1,000 other people scratching and clawing, trying to get to the top and take your podium. And so it's just this endless cycle of discontentment and pushing people beneath you, not lifting people up as Jesus' followers do, but pushing people down, that's no way to live. So rising generation, can I just encourage us today? Let's unplug from the cultural rhythm of achievement and instead plug into God's definition of achievement, which is faithfulness. Faithfulness, you know what faithfulness is? It's just rolling out of bed every day saying, I'm gonna embrace the daily grind today for Jesus. Whatever's in front of me today, and whoever especially is in front of me today, that's my purpose. And it doesn't matter if I got one talent, five talents, or 10 talents, I'm gonna give all, not some. You know, um, (laughs) this generation, our generation, I feel like we struggle so much with anxiety. You know what I mean, like more so than any generation. And I think that all, com- it all boils down to us wanting to achieve, you know, wanting to control the future, you know, wanting to kind of guide our path 10 years from now, wanting to know where am I gonna work, where am I gonna live, who am I gonna marry someday? Can I just go ahead and tell you right now, you don't know, you won't know. Like, God probably has unimaginable dreams. For- 10 years ago, I would have never imagined I'd be standing right here and neither would have you if, if you'd have known me. All right, trust me. So you don't know. So can I just encourage you, if, if you're struggling with anxiety tonight, you can offload that stress because there is only one thing that is certain at life's highest highs and life's lowest lows and that's who's gonna be there, Jesus. So cultivate faithfulness in him. Cultivate faithfulness in him and that's the best thing you can do for you 10 years from now, a billion years from now. <laughs> Cultural rhythm number three, man, I'm out of time. Let's skip number three and go to four. Cultural rhythm number four, no. <clears throat> entitlement, entitlement. I hate that word, don't you? Because it gets thrown at our generation all the time, you, even you're, you're entitled. You know? yeah, I tell you, you why I hate it the most. I hate it the most because it ain't our fault. I didn't stand in front of the mirror when I was seven years old stroking my ego, telling me how special I am. Oh, all millennials got trophies when they were in Little League for finishing last. Yeah, who bought them, Mom? You know? <laughs> It, just, it, it, it frustrates me. Uh, but uh, here, here's what we can own. We can own it if we remain entitled into our young adulthood, right? Because now it's on us. It's, it's our decision. It's our life. It's our, it's our decision how we're gonna follow Jesus. So we gotta unplug from that, right? We gotta unplug. Here's what happens when you live in a, a world of entitlement too long. You begin to turn inwards. You begin to become egocentric, you began to believe that the world revolves around you. And that short circuits, in my humble opinion, the number one most important kingdom value for a follower of Jesus. And that's servanthood. Servant. here's what Jesus has to say about servanthood. Matthew chapter 20. Verse 25, Jesus calls his disciples together and this is what he says to them. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. You know how secular leadership works, right? And he says, but among you, it will be different. Because whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And there you have it. The definition of spiritual leadership, also known as servant leadership. Now, what I love about this conversation Jesus has here with his disciples uh, is that, uh, like, literally a few days later, he and his disciples head to Jerusalem for the last time, and he's about to be crucified. So, not only in the last couple of weeks of his life does he teach clearly to the disciples what servanthood looks like, but then later that week, He gives them some of the most powerful symbols history has to offer of servanthood. One of my favorites is very familiar to you, John chapter 13. Scriptures tell us Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now I want you to notice that first line right there. Jesus knew he had all the authority. He's in the upper room with the disciples about to break bread. And he knew he, okay, he knew that he was not only the most powerful man in the room, not only the most powerful man in the city, he was the most powerful man on the face of the planet. And so what does he do? Well, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then began to wash his disciples' feet, drying with the towel. He had around them. <laughs> he washed Peter's feet, who would like, later betray him. There was two betrayers that night, right? And he washed, uh, washed Thomas' feet, who would later doubt him, and he washed James and John's feet, who would later abandon him in the garden. He even washed Judas' feet, who would put him on a cross. And then after that, he put his robe back on, went back to the head of the table where the teacher sat, and he said this, he said, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow, do, as I have done to you. Now again, you guys know that story, and if Jesus would have just pushed the pause button there and the Bible would, end, would have ended right there, we'd have gotten an amply clear view of what servanthood is all about, will we not have? But that's not where the story stops. In fact, uh, the next day, he goes one step further. And on the cross, he didn't give some, he gave all. He didn't serve some, he served all. As Jesus hung on the cross that day, a sign was above his head. In three different languages, it said the words, the king, the king, the king. And I find that so ironic. Because as the secular powers that be jeered and sneered at the idea of a crucified, suffering servant, king, heaven cheered. And God looked down and said, That's greatness. That's leadership. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if the story would have ended there, we'd have gotten an amply clear picture of what servanthood looked like, right? But it didn't, because then Jesus rose from the dead. And just before he ascended, he looked down at his apostles. And he said this to him, he said, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Notice, who's got the power? Who's got the authority? Jesus does. Jesus says, look, I'm the very definition of entitled. All right, because I am. I'm like entitled to the throne next to God and I'm about to go there, okay? Like I got the power. I could set up my forever kingdom right now. But instead of doing it my way and choosing me, instead my way is going to be choosing you. I choose you. So go, you, no, not me, you go and make disciples of all the nations. He says, I choose you to be my plan A and there is no plan B. I choose you to be the body of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus, the physical presence of Jesus in the world today. I choose you, you are as close as anyone will get to Jesus this side of heaven. I choose you. I commission you into your families and into your neighborhoods and into your homes and into your churches and your mission fields into the marketplace. In fact, take every worship, uh, take every workplace and turn it into a worship space. I choose you, I commission you, I empower you, I give you a purpose, so go. And what a purpose that is, right? Hmm. So, uh, rising generation, can I just close by, by challenging all of us with a question? And this is a question that is familiar to me, it's familiar to you, but I hope, uh, I hope it never becomes old to you. Let me ask you, going forth, whose kingdom, whose kingdom will you choose to build? Thy kingdom or my kingdom? Spoiler alert, there's really only one kingdom that's gonna matter anyways. And that's the kingdom where slow is better than fast. That's the kingdom where achievement is defined by faithfulness. That's the kingdom where the first are last and the greatest are the servant of many. There is a kingdom with a brand of greatness that you descend into, and that is the kingdom of God. That is the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of the servant. So go, serve big, serve bold. Go, don't let the size of your faith, don't let the size of your faith insult the size of your God. Go and make disciples. I believe in us. And the impact we could make on the future is immeasurable if we can unplug and just lean in. Uh, Right now we're gonna uh, end by... Uh, in the message time by going into our 120 seconds. I know you got this rhythm where you just take a moment and you reflect on the message. And I would just challenge you, I would encourage you, I don't know if you can wrap your mind around all three of those cultural rhythms and how you might unplug today, but maybe you can wrap your mind around one. So could you slow down? Could you embrace slow today? Maybe that's what you need to do, that's, that's me. I'm gonna go sit in my seat and I'm gonna continue to ask God to slow me down and make me still before him. But maybe for you, you need to unplug from the comparison trap and the idolization of achievement. Finding your self-worth based on how you measure up to your peers and the people to your left and right. Well, can you, could you just ask God to, to push that out of your center and push faithfulness in? Or maybe for others of you, you get out of this entitled mindset and, and remember that the world doesn't revolve around you, no, we all revolve around him. And you can take his heart and begin to serve better. Whatever it is, let's just take 120 seconds, take a deep breath, reflect, and pray.